President Trump gets a big win in the courts. A 17-year-old girl is legally euthanized in the Netherlands. Former Broward County Sheriff's Deputy Scott Peterson has been arrested for the lack of action during the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School shooting. Finally, dodgeball is a tool of oppression. Happy Pride Month! I'm just kidding. I don't care about that. This is Gene, and you're listening to Dumbasses Talking Politics. Uh, yesterday, Trump got some great news. A Washington, D.C. district court judge threw out a law uh, sued, uh, lawsuit initiated by the Democrats to stop Trump from diverting funds from other projects to his border wall. Pelosi and other Democrats said that the $6.7 million billion, excuse me, dollars that Trump wanted to divert was tantamount to, quote, stealing and a stealing of appropriated funds, end quote. Judge Trevor McFadden, a Trump nominee, said that the case was a political issue and the Democrats did not have a legal case. McFadden said, quote, this case presents a close question about the appropriate, appropriate role of the judiciary in resolving disputes between two other branches of federal government. To be clear, the court does not imply that Congress may never sue the executive to protect its powers. The court declines to take sides in the fight between the House and the President. McFadden pointed out that this is was not an issue that could be handled this was an issue that could be handled legislatively legislatively per the constitution and then congress could reappropriate the funds if necessary in other words they could review the funds and they can sit back and say okay let's let's review this and change into something else essentially what trump did is he declared a state of emergency on the southern border and he took military funds and appropriated to the border. And what the judge is saying is, well, Congress can go in and say, okay, um, we're going to take that $6 billion and we're going to put that towards, I don't know, healthcare, something. The other problem that the Democrats had is they had a burden of proof to show that there was injury caused by President Trump actually reappropriating this money. Uh, needless to say, there is no injury caused. And as a matter of fact, the Trump administration could show how uh, injury was being caused by not appropriating money towards a border wall. They didn't prove their case. Done. Um, it's a very hard bar to prove. They couldn't prove it. Essentially, the judge said the appropriation of the funds are up to Congress, and if the president decides to reappropriate from one military project to the other, Congress has to create a new appropriation bill. In other words, Congress needs to do their job. So, the judge is basically following the Constitution. So, so what happens now? There are several... Other lawsuits pending in California. I'm sure the Dems are going to find a judge somewhere that will block this, and then it will head back to an appellate court. Uh, the finances are important. It would allow for over 200 miles of wall, and I think a closer judgment is 250 miles of wall. Uh, 
The current funding only builds about 50 miles of wall, and the current funding is about $1.7 billion. Seeing that we have 100,000 illegal aliens being detained a month, it's getting kind of important that we do something about it. You're talking about 1.2 million illegal aliens entering the country per, mo- uh, per year. This is not good. It's way up. Um, I personally think this whole thing is really disgusting. Even CNN, MSNBC, and the New York Times are saying that, the crisis, that there is a crisis at the border. And it's not just a crisis that we have a lot of illegal aliens walking into the country. It's a crisis. It's a humanitarian crisis. Of course, there's my fiancé calling. It's a humanitarian crisis. By humanitarian, I mean that... By humanitarian, I mean that... um, I'm sorry, the phone rang. By humanitarian, I mean that people are dying. So, okay, I'm going to have to take this. Hold on one second. Okay, I did cut this stuff off. I did cut this out. I, I couldn't help it. I had to answer as my fiancé. And when she calls three times, I figure, okay, something's wrong. So, I, here, I told you that this was a humanitarian crisis. People are dying. People are sneaking over the border. They are trying to get into the country in any way they can. And that means they're not drinking water. They're not eating food. They're not doing things. This is a problem. We need to sit back and actually deal with this. And the other problem is that Democrats are really into this kind of thing. And they're not into it because they care about all the illegal aliens that are sneaking over the country. They don't. They care about it because every illegal alien that crawls over the border crawls because they are not drinking water, they're not eating, they have diseases, things like that. They're cr- Every illegal alien that crawls over the border and stays in the United States, they are pushing to allow to vote. It's a power move. The Democrats are trying to create a new voting base. And it, it's really scary. And it's scary because... The Democrats really don't have any debatable options. They have no debatable platforms. They will lose on everything. Abortion, illegal immigration, health care for all, socialism. They have no debatable, uh, they have no debatable topics. Every time you debate a Democrat, and by the way, I already told you how to debate a Democrat in the last few po- in uh, a podcast, a couple podcasts before, listen to them. They can't debate you. They will lose. And they will lose because what they're actually trying to achieve is just failure. Socialism doesn't work. Planned um, or, or Medicare for all will never work. This stuff doesn't work. So I'm, I'm, I'm going from the depressing to the more depressing. 
Um, and this is an absolutely terrible story. I can barely say anything about it because I can't believe it happened and no one is, no one did anything about it. It was totally avoidable. But not only was it avoidable, not only did it, no one do anything about it, doctors approved this garbage. In the Netherlands, and by the way, I know the Netherlands, long way from the United States, and we shouldn't pay attention to it, but remember this. The Netherlands, in the United States, this law has already been approved in a few states in the United States. I, I just think it's really bad. Thank you. Kevorkian, Dr. Kevorkian. Um, euthanasia is legal. A 17-year-old girl was put to death. No Potoven, I hope I pronounced that correctly, had a really tough life. And I, I, I cannot express how hard her life was. She had been molested uh, multiple times uh, between the ages of 11 and 12. At 14, she was raped, gang raped by two men. She su And she suffered because of it. She had post-traumatic stress syndrome. She had depression. She had anorexia. She was in really bad shape. But here's the thing. This was not a dumb woman. This was a bright woman. She was smart. She wrote a best-selling book called Winning or Learning about her experiences. In other words, this woman had something to offer to society. She had gone through the worst horrors, the worst hell. And she wrote about it. She wrote a book about it. And I'm going to read this book. I'm going to find this book. I'm going to read this book. But even though she had successes. She couldn't realize her successes. She couldn't realize that she was worth something. Uh, she wanted to die. She wanted to kill herself. And euthanasia is legal in the Netherlands, Switzerland, a lot of different EU countries. It's legal in like three or four states in the United States, by the way. But you just can't go out and kill yourself. Um, she had to get approval from a doctor. And that doctor must state that that person that is requesting suicide is in unlivable pain with no chance of relief. And she was killed last Sunday. Okay, I said killed. I'll go a step further. She was murdered last Sunday. Murdered by a socio by a socialistic healthcare system that cares more about saving a buck than actually treating women. Treating a woman who n No, it wasn't a woman. It was a child. And she had a mental illness. And it was a mental illness that was really treatable. 
This is why socialized medicine is really scary. These doctors only get paid so much and for so long. They'll find a shortcut to get rid of patients that they're not sure can be treated. Now, it's true that most countries who support euthanasia require doctors or a, and a psychologist's approval. And it's true that most people who go through the process of euthanasia suffer from terminal diseases like cancer. And I'm not completely 100% sure that non-treatable diseases like cancer are something that should prevent someone from being euthanized or from choosing euthanization. But when we start killing teenagers with severe emotional problems, problems that will take a lot of time and work to help deal with their problems, we're entering a dark road. This young lady, this young lady didn't have anything terminal. This is bad. I had four kids. All four kids dealt with depression. And I'm not going to minimize her trauma. But the problems my kids went through affected them too. They were depressed. They were anxious. How close are we as a human race to euthanizing children who are going through parents who had a divorce? That's depressing. That's hard. That's devastating. How about kids who are bullied in school? That's hard. That's devastating. That's depressing. How about kids that go through hormonal imbalances like they go through with puberty? We already accept abortion for underage kids as without parental consent, without any consent. Now we're going to sit back and say the kids should end their lives? I think we're going to have to have a, another podcast about socialized medicine, death panels, and all that fun crap, because I think this is important. And this story was not good, and not good at all. I, I think this story was just, I, this was bad. So let's go into a happier story, okay? Because it's not, it's not all about um, bad things. And I know the first two stories were kind of depressing. So let's let's go to something happy. Happy. A former Broward County Sheriff deputy, Scott Peterson, was arrested and is facing 97 years in prison. Don't worry, he won't get that. He's in jail on $102,000 bail. So you might be asking, who's Scott Peterson? Because it's a name that's been kind of hidden away. The news media doesn't talk a lot about it. He's the He was a resource officer at Majori, Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School during the February 14, 2018 mass shooting that killed 17 students. This coward refused to go into the school during the shooting, even though he was armed, he 
failed to save the lives or he did not see the lives of those students as important enough to actually risk his own life. The bastard said he did not know the shooting was inside the school, and that's why he didn't enter. Uh, but radio recordings show that that isn't exactly true, that he actually knew not only that it was within a building, he also knew which building the shooting was taking place. He eventually was fired, um, and that happened after he retired. If he's convicted of this, he will surely lose a ton of his pension, which he doesn't deserve, and will probably face some jail time. Well, he's not going to face jail time. Let's, let's kill that right off the bat. What's really going to happen here? Um, I just listened to a lawyer on Tucker Carlson, and I agree with her. The ca- cowardice is not a crime. Even if it's from a guy who's being paid to protect us. Notice I'm saying us. Notice I'm not saying protect the students at the school. I'm saying protect us. There is not a way he's going to get convicted by a Florida jury. He is going to get convicted. But the second his lawyers appeal, he's going to get off. It's apparent that the laws are going to have to be changed, not only in Florida, but across the country. Swearing an oath to protect the community and failing needs to be a crime. And getting paid for it and failing needs to be a crime. This guy was so overtly a coward, it wasn't even, it was not even a question on this whole thing. The bastard deserves to serve the rest of his life in prison, and he won't get it. The other thing that really bothers me is the gun to uh, gun control debate that came became a really big thing after this massacre. The government needs to take our guns. That's what we were told. We should trust the government to protect us from these nut job shooters. And by the way, these people are all nut jobs. If they want to kill a lot of people, they're going to kill a lot of people. But here's the whoops with this argument. Here's the whoops when we found out that this this piece of garbage resource officer, this cowardly resource officer, absolutely kills the gun control debate. The tragedy proves that we can't trust the government. They won't protect us. We need to protect ourselves. Schools, churches, synagogues, mosques should not be gun-free zones. Because those places are on their own. Tragedies occur in seconds. And it takes law enforcement minutes to respond. Those seconds matter. And people will die in those seconds. You know what would have ended this whole tragedy? A teacher in one of those classrooms who is trained 
with a gun. Because here's the whole thing. This kid who started shooting those 17 kids, he wasn't trained. He was just a kid. One teacher who has experience in a range, who has experience firing a weapon, could have saved all, all those kids. Could have saved at least the majority of those kids. And I'm just... My daughter is a, a teacher, was a teacher. She doesn't teach anymore since she had her kids. She was a teacher at a Jewish school in Los Angeles. Uh, there were armed guards, walls instead of fences, and metal detectors. Anyone who tells you walls don't work, no, they do. The reason the school was fortified as such is because they had received many confirmed threats. Those threats included mass shootings, bombs, things like that. That Jewish school responded to those threats. The school she used to work with is not a gun-free zone. Everyone in the area, everyone in the city of Los Angeles knows it. And therefore, the cowards who want to kill a lot of people don't mess with that school. Here's the secret. A well-trained person with a gun saves lives, period. And I hate the talk about, um, I hate the talk, the politicalization of this garbage. It's just not right. Now, let's talk about the dumb story of the day. And this is really awesome, except it's not, it's not depressing. But it's not. And hopefully, if you're listening to this podcast, you sit back and say, hey, you know something? Maybe he's right. Now, understand something. Let me predicate this. No, I'm not going to predicate this yet. So, well, this story is from the Daily Caller. Apparently, a group of Canadian scholars, and I use air quotes there because I'm sick and tired of scholars making dumb conclusions and being considered scholars, determined that the game of dodgeball is a tool for oppression. Awesome. It's not only just a bad game, it's, it's oppressive. Yeah, I'm not kidding. The game we all played in grammar school is a moral danger. Again, air quotes. You can't see me, I'm not filming myself. You don't want to film, you don't want me filmed right now. I'm sitting back very comfortable. Surprisingly, this came from a school in Vancouver of humanities, uh, came from a college in Vancouver from the Humanities and Social Sciences Department. Again, more air quotes around social sciences. Uh, And I'm putting those air quotes around social sciences because social sciences ain't a science. The group is quoted as saying, open quotes, As we consider the potential of physical education to empower students by engaging them in critical and democratic practices. What the hell does that mean? Democratic 
practices. It's a game. Okay, that's my quote. Let's continue the quote. We conclude that the hidden curriculum of antithetical uh, curriculum is antithetical to this project, even when it reflects the choices of the strongest and most agile students. Oh, here we go. There it is. End quote, by the way. There it is. The strong, the strong over the weak. That's what they're basically saying. Here's the thing. Maybe if they gave the losers on the dodgeball game, they gave them a trophy, maybe things would be all right. But they don't give losers at a, a, a grammar school dodgeball game trophies. So, well, whatever. I digress. Uh, let me sh- let's talk about the rest of the quote. Despite the fact that many physical educators understand their vital role in helping students develop robust, equal, productive relationships and critical awareness, their practices on the ground do not always reflect this agenda. We suggest that the tension that this tension becomes sharply visible in the common practice of allowing students to play dodgeball. I'm no crap. I am not kidding. That's what this thing said. This was from this was literally a seven paragraph article. It was so stupid. I just didn't even know what to say to it. So let me tell you a story about my personal life. Okay. I'm going to sit back and tell you. I was about eight, nine years old and I wanted to play baseball. I love baseball. My grandmother at six took me to a Dodger game where the Dodgers played the Padres. It was opening day and Gaylord Perry was pitching and he was awesome. And a matter of fact, half the reason I love the knuckleball is because of Gaylord Perry. Well, so I love baseball. So it was decided, you know something, you're going to play baseball. Why don't you go try out for the little league team? I said, okay. Now here are the key words. I had to try out. The little league team was not just going to take me because I was really cute and I had curly hair. I and I looked good in those little tight pants. I had to actually try out. The trials were broken into three parts. The first part, I had to prove that I could catch a ball. And what we did is we lined up on the field and they threw a ball. I caught it. I threw the ball back. Good to go. I could always catch. I was always very good with a baseball glove. I I never had a problem catching. Next part was I had to throw a certain distance. Now, I I can't remember what I had to throw. It was a long time ago. But let's put it to you this way. I, I sat at home plate on a little league field, and I had to throw the ball so that it actually reached the outfield grass. I literally think it had to actually touch the tip of the grass and I would have failed. I would have succeeded. Guess what? I couldn't. I threw the ball three times. None of the three balls actually hit the outfield grass. Failed. Tryout failed. Done. I didn't even get the chance to go to the third uh, tryout mode. I was done. It was over. Not going to play in this league this year. 
Needless to say, I walked off the field and I cried. My dad basically said, hey, whatever, you'll do it next year. Now, I had a very rigid life, an extremely rigid life. I went to school from 7.30 to 2.30, got home by 3. My mom made me, my mom, my parents made me go outside from 3 to about 4. And from 3 to 4, and they they did this because they wanted me to get some fresh air and exercise as if I didn't do this in school during lunch and my my breaks. But they wanted me to go outside. And then after I was finished, and sometimes it went to 4.30, after I was finished, I had to go inside. I had to do an hour and a half to two hours of homework. And then, because I really wasn't reading well, I had to actually read out loud for a half hour. Once I was finished reading out loud for a half hour, it was between 8 to 8.15 when I was finished. Oh, yeah, I did eat dinner. No biggie. I did eat. Uh, so it wasn't an hour, two hours of homework. It was between an hour and a half to an hour and 45 minutes. I would go and be able to watch TV till nine o'clock and then I went to bed. Period. That was my that was my thing. Okay. So every day when I was supposed to go outside, I grabbed a tennis ball and I played Fantasy World. I would actually sit back and say, I am a pitcher from the Los Angeles Dodgers. I've got some really bizarre pitches. No one can strike out. I would set out a, uh, a home plate that I actually got from a tee that my dad had me work on. And I would continue to pitch for an hour every day and pretend to pitch strikes. And I would pitch literally nine-hour games. Now, of course, you can imagine that a nine-hour game wasn't that long because there was no batters. We didn't have, uh, the home team didn't have their time to bat, but I would pitch. My arm got stronger. I had a really good time. And by the way, it wasn't the bitterness that I didn't get accepted onto the baseball team. It started as that, but it wasn't. I pitched because it was actually kind of fun. And I was acting like I was... Uh, Tommy John, who was left-handed, I'm right-handed, so it, it wasn't the same. But I was acting like I was one of my favorite pitchers. I had a good time. Before we knew it, the next year, I was it was time for, for tryouts. So I was like, oh my God. I, and I won't lie, I was nervous as all sin. I was really nervous. But I went out there. I went through our three um, uh, our three aspects of uh, tryouts. The first aspect was catching the ball. Well, here's the thing. I was throwing the ball against a wall. A wall, by the way, that was below my parents' rooms. And in those year, in that year, they never said a word about me banging the wall every time. They, they didn't. They didn't say a word. But when I threw the ball, when I pitched that fantastic pitch, that ball would bounce back at me and I had to catch it with the glove. So catching was never an issue. 
I caught all grounders. I caught all pop-ups. I caught all throws. It was never an issue. Then the throwing part came about. And I remember my dad was actually holding onto the fence when I did this. Um, this was nerve-wracking because I actually had to throw the ball 10 feet further than I threw the ball the year before because I got older and so you get older, your arm gets stronger. I threw the ball, not an issue. The ball ended up about 20, 30 feet further than the uh, line that I needed to pass. I threw two balls, I passed, I was done. I was told, okay, go hit the ball, uh, go bat, which is something I couldn't do the year before. Before, I went up, hit, fouled it a couple times. Um, I was never a great hitter. I never a great hitter. Um, fouled it a couple times, which is good enough to pass the tryout. I ended up being put on the team, and it was the Phillies. That was my team I was put on. The next year, I made the all-star team, hit the game-winning hit to win the all-star game. Now, don't think that that means I'm some fan I'm not like Pete Rose or anything. No, I, it was a grounder that someone couldn't catch. But it was a hit. It was a legit hit. I played in the district all-stars for the summer. And by the way, I was on the bench. I was just a filler. I really suck at baseball. I, I can't lie to you. I really sucked at baseball. But I made it. My emotional... What's, what's the reason for this story? My emotional tank was not filled because I got a trophy or I played a game where there were no losers. My emotional tank was filled because I failed, worked hard, and succeeded in the same task in the future. Up went, <coughs> up went my self-esteem. I already talked about this. Self-esteem is created by accomplishment, not by words, not by faux um, awards. It's accomplishment. And it's and that's followed me for the rest of my life. Because here's the thing. Sometimes you need to fail. Life is filled with failure. It's a series of failure. It's not the success that makes the person. It's how the person deals with failure. And I don't have the Michael Jordan quote here, and I'm not going to bring it up. But if you listen to Michael Jordan, he succeeded because he failed so many times. And I hope to God that a lot of people continue to teach their kids that. Or maybe parents need to teach their kids that because the schools aren't doing it. Failure is part of life. It's how we deal with failure that makes the person. Oh, that was deep. Okay, so um, 
you can visit my website at www.dumbassestalkingpolitics.com. You can visit my, uh, you can, you can actually uh, follow me on Twitter at runninfool, R-U-N-N-I-N-F-E-W-L. You can download this podcast at iTunes, which is going away, YouTube and um, Podcast Addicts, and Podbean. I hope you folks enjoyed this. Visit my website because I've got a lot of different, uh, I've got a lot of the references there. You can actually read about what I've said. Make sure that, you know, yeah, fact check me. So enjoy. Have a great night. Be prepared for a Flash podcast tomorrow. Take care of yourself.